I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The title of this sermon is, What is Mercy? At the end of that parable that we just heard, we hear in the last lines, Matthew 18, the king says to the servant, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? I've been thinking a lot lately about the word mercy. Uh, my youngest daughter has started a new school called Our Lady of Mercy. And uh, some people just call that church and that school mercy. And then a couple weeks ago, I received the Mockingbird Journal, a fabulous publication. If you don't know about Mockingbird, check out the website and subscribe to this journal. And it has a different theme every time. This one is the mercy issue, and it's fantastic. What is mercy? Well, the Greek word is ileo. It means to pity, to have mercy on, to have compassion for. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. On multiple occasions in the Gospels, people cry out to Jesus for healing. For example, blind Bartimaeus. And they cry out and they say, Jesus, son of David, have what? Mercy on me. Yeah. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for mercy is rakhem. So we hear in Nehemiah 9.28, the prophet speaks to the Lord and says, But as soon as they were at rest, they did what was evil in your sight, O Lord. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your mercy you delivered them time after time. A couple verses later, in verse 31, the prophet says, But you in your great mercy did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, by the way, we can dispense right there with the oft-repeated idea that the God of the Old Testament is the God of judgment, and the God of the New Testament is the God of mercy. Those two passages that I just read from Nehemiah are from the Old Testament, and there are many passages that speak of God's mercy and his loving kindness, his enduring love, which is the Hebrew hesed, but what is mercy? Well, it is this. It is to offer kindness or relief or forgiveness even when it is not deserved. Did you catch that last part? Even when it is not deserved. In the parable that Jesus tells, this famous parable that we just heard in the gospel, there is a king and a servant and a debt. And the king calls in the debts and the servant comes forward because he has racked up an extraordinary bill. Let's take a look at it together and see if you can find how much the servant owes. You can tell me what verse it's in. Anybody find it? Well, it's verse 24. What's, what's the bill? I'm hearing 10,000 talents. That's exactly correct. But what is 10,000 talents? How much money is that? Well, one talent was quite a bit of money in those days. One talent was 6,000 denarii, and a denarius was a silver coin that was like one day's wage. So if you had one talent, it means that you had worked for 6,000 days and saved it all. It's an outrageous sum of money. Jesus' story here is almost supposed to be comical, because look, 10,000 talents then would be equivalent to the work of 160,000 years 
or watch this, 60 million days of labor. Another way to say it is that a talent is a bag of gold, and in those days, if somebody owned a bag of gold, they were quite rich. So imagine someone owning or owing 10,000 bags of gold. What's the point? The point is it's supposed to be an astronomical amount of money. We have no idea how the servant accrued this debt, much less how he might even begin to pay it off. But notice the next comical aspect of the story. Listen to what the servant says in verse 26. If you can use your finger to find verse 26. It says, the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, uh, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. In other words, yeah, yeah, I'll handle this debt, I just need a little bit more time. Are you kidding? He still has this idea that he can somehow handle the situation himself, if just given a few more days or years. Well, friends, not to put too fine a point on it, but the Bible says that you and I are both in debt to God. And not just a little bit, but an astronomical debt. Like our spiritual grandparents, Adam and Eve, we look around at the bountiful blessings that God has given us, and instead of following in his ways, we seek our own ways. We seek our own knowledge of good and evil. In other words, we come up with our own version of how the universe should be, and usually we are at the center of that hypothetical universe. And then, like the people of Israel, we seek other gods. We make idols for ourselves to bring short-term pleasure instead of seeking lasting joy through the worship of the one true God. And so all of this is sin, but it's not just sin with a lowercase s, it's big sin. It's sin with a capital S. And there we are then, like the servant, on our knees before the king with a huge debt, no way to pay it back, and yet still clinging to our own power to save ourselves. And what does the servant get? Verse 27, what does the servant get? A beating, a trip to the debtor's prison, at the very least, a lecture on fiscal responsibility. What does he get? The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's it? Just like that? Debt canceled, scot-free? The people listening to Jesus' story would have been shocked at this development. Maybe they burst into laughter as this parable was being told. That we too should be shocked at such an extravagant show of mercy. The heart of the parable, however, is still coming. You see, the servant leaves and runs into someone else who owes him a debt. Much smaller, a hundred denarii. Now you say, well, how much is a hundred denarii? Well, it's a hundred days wages, so not insignificant, but it certainly pales in comparison to that which has just been forgiven. This man was just forgiven 10,000 bags of gold, and he's arguing now over a pouch of silver coins. To the demand for money is added physical abuse. Note verse 28, he grabbed him and began to choke him. A better translation might be strangle or throttle. The fellow servant begs for mercy using the exact same words as the first servant. Be patient with me. I will pay it back. What is to be done? Well, let's pause and wonder if you have ever been in a similar situation. 
And you think, well, no, Father Matthew, not really. I've never owed somebody 10,000 bags of gold or tried to choke 100 denarii out of somebody. But listen, actually, you have. It happens all the time on the roads of the DMV every day. (laughs) Allow me to spin a familiar story. You find yourself driving in an unfamiliar intersection or a highway merge. You speed ahead in the left lane, only to find out that you really need to be in the right lane. Sheepish and anxious, you click on your blinker, hoping to get over. I didn't know, I'm sorry, you explain to no one in particular. Finally, some car lets you in, you breathe a sigh of relief and offer a thankful wave. Two weeks later, you find yourself in the same intersection. This time you are wiser and you line up in the correct lane, very proud of yourself for remembering. Just then, the driver in front of you stops, clicks on their blinker, and stops holding you up, trying to get over into the other lane. And what goes through your head as you sit there having to wait? Well, I can tell you what I think, being the gracious man that I am. I think, what an idiot! Wrong lane! Must not be from around here! Really? The very thing that I did two weeks ago is now suddenly outrageous when committed by another car who dares to waste 10 seconds of my precious time. Friends, this is what Jesus' parable is really all about. Are we, who have received so much mercy from the Lord, able to extend that mercy to others or to harden our hearts and withhold it? Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Here's another way of thinking about it. Imagine that life, this life, is a huge organization with lots and lots of committees. It turns out that there is one committee that we all want to be on. It's called the Judgment Committee. Don't you want to be in on that? Determining who's good and who's bad, what's wrong with other people? Boy, we'd be great on that committee. We've been practicing for it our entire lives. But God said that he's got the Judgment Committee covered. There are only three spots, and they're already filled by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they have the administrative support of the angels and the archangels and the entire heavenly host. Now, look, there is such a thing as right and wrong. And there is such a thing as good and bad actions. And there is such a thing as telling the truth about it. There is such a thing as judgment. It's just that God has a much more important committee for you and I to serve on. And it's called the Mercy Committee. And do you know, the best members of the Mercy Committee are those who understand just how much mercy has been shown to them by the one who is Lord and judge over all. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's called the Jesus Prayer, one of the oldest prayers in Christianity. When you look at Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we see a man 
who is also God, and therefore Lord and judge over all. And yet, in his passion and death, he became subject to judgment so that he could show mercy to us. On that Good Friday, Jesus stood before multiple courts, and he suffered unfair judgment. In the court of Pontius Pilate, he was sentenced to death on a cross. And what's more, on that cross, he was dying to pay for sins that he did not commit. He did it for you, and he did it for me. Even then, on the merciless hill of Golgotha, he prayed to forgive the soldiers who were driving nails into his flesh. How do we respond? How do we respond to this show of mercy? Well, with courage and with mercy of our own. You see, and I'll close with this, mercy is not the act of a weak person. Mercy does not issue forth from a place of weakness. No, mercy, by definition, issues forth from a place of strength. The one who gives mercy is in the position to dole out punishment. That's a position of strength. When you, therefore, show mercy, you are doing one of the strongest things that any man or woman can do. Matthew 18, the king said to the servant, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.